I think it was the Irish poet Yeats who wrote back in the 30s. He said, well, unfortunately, the, uh, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. And you see that uh, in a lot of different places in our society today. Uh, you, you, you got a full dose of it down in Cheyenne last year when the, uh, they, they just don't stop. They just keep on a coming. This is a great evening. It's a chance to bring back one of my favorite guests, Charlie Cole. How are you, Charlie? I'm great. I hope y'all are too. Very good. Several times when he's been here, he has plugged his book in Russian Wonderland, An American's Odyssey in Soviet Russia. And I've got to be completely honest with you. While Diane... Oh, Diane's here too. Hi, Diane. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for noticing. Well, you know, she's, she's my wife, so she's always here, which is a good thing. But anyway, back to the book in Russian Wonderland, an American Odyssey in Soviet Russia, available wherever books are sold. And I highly encourage you to get this book. I was asked to read this book several years ago, and I have a long list of books that I've been asked to read. And I put it in the stack, and I have to confess to be totally honest, a couple of times I kind of shuffled it out because for one, I knew it was going to be a fairly quick read. I was told that. And for another, I was a little afraid, and don't misinterpret this, it's not that Charlie is at all preachy, but I was afraid the book might be. <laughs> that the book might be a little bit of, um, it, it's kind of a guide map, and it really is, of looking at what went wrong in Soviet Russia and a warning to us today about what's going on. But I was afraid it would be... You remember that movie we watched years ago, Diane, where they put in these little flashing deals and said, clue, clue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a little bit of... I, I was afraid it might be just a little bit spoon-feeding, but it's not that at all. You simply tell the story in quite frankly, a delightful way, and, and I enjoyed reading it. I, I enjoyed especially thinking about you sitting there and talking to the old, the old guys that kind of helped you organize things and set up the displays. Mm. Um, you're going to have to go read the book to find out the rest of that. But at my stage in life, thinking about there comes a point when you're not quite as worried about how people feel or what they think or what the reaction's going to be, you're just ready to start telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Yeah, I, um, the, the main, well, the easiest way to get the book is, is through Amazon. It's interesting. I, I, the reason, and I think I'm doing an update to the book now and then one other that I'm working on, and I'm going to stick with Amazon for, for the same reason that, that, uh, Wayne Allen Root said, they asked him one time, well, why do, you, why do you publish your books through Amazon? And he said, quite simply, because they don't censor anything that you write. You publish it, boom, it's up, they don't play with it. I, uh, I was shocked when I found out last year, I think it was, that Senator Josh Hawley from Missouri, mm -hmm. really good guy, yep. solid constitutional conservative, smart guy, lawyer, <laughs> he had a book contract, he thought, with a major publisher. And then, I guess, during the editing process, they read the book and they all of a sudden said, mm, nope, and they breached the contract. Well, uh, one thing about Amazon, uh, I'm not thrilled with Amazon, but you got to admit, they don't do that. So, And, uh, and they have a pretty wide distribution. It does, it does. So that's to be considered. I want to... I want to begin this today with a joke. Okay. Now, hold your applause, Charlie. <laughs> this is a joke that I learned over 40 years ago. And I think it'll sound a little familiar. So there's this old cowboy. 
and he tells a story. Because, see, there, there's more than one way to tell the truth. And this old cowboy tells a story. He says, you know, me and the governor ran them two horses, and mine won. The governor's version of the story was more like this. In a great contest, wherein was fielded some of the finest horse flesh this side of the Mississippi River, my horse come in second and his was next to last. That joke I was surprised to find, pleasantly surprised to find, was in your book and being used in Russia. Yeah, it was a fairly well-known one. It had to do with, with Toss, the Soviet media, and it was they used the one about two sprinters, but they made it sound exactly the same. The setup was, you know, the, at this huge America, at this huge meet. It's only a two-guy race. But depending on who wins, that's how they'll report it. And there's one that's not in that book, but I, I, I'm, I'm putting it in the, the next book, and that is, speaking of the media, there's a joke about, uh, it's a Russian joke, but it translates to there's two Russian friends that meet on the street. And they ask, oh, how are you doing? And the first one says uh, the second one. And the second one answers, well, I I don't know. I, I got to go see an eye doctor and an ear doctor. And the first guy's who went for? He said, because what I'm seeing just does not match what I've been hearing. So <laughs> that's kind of, I, I'd, say he, that, I'd say that joke captures our media just about perfectly, because if you look at the things that we're seeing today coming out of the media and the things that we're not seeing that are happening but being spiked by the media, that's... So my question has always been, and I ask Vera, my wife, about this all the time, so the difference between this and Pravda and Izvestia is what? Uh, I mean, it's exactly the same, uh, the same logic behind it. It's the same tactic. And what I tried to do in this book was to show what real life was, on, was like on the ground for these people that were born and raised in that system. They were stuck in it until it, until it mercifully fell apart on the inside. But, I mean, the, I, can't even ima- I can't even convey, really, the look in their eyes. Uh, we'd be talking about some things about America and features of American life. You could see some of them, the tears would well up in their eyes. Uh, sometimes you're talking about a subject where, well, it got a little ticklish as far as the Soviet authorities were concerned, and these people would start looking around the room to say, okay, well, you know, who's listening? Anybody writing my name down, etc. And the overarching feature of that society was fear. Yeah. Uh, all these regimes, if you want to, if you want to go all the way back and. Again, uh, we talked a little bit about it before the broadcast today, but I'm taking a, a kind of a look at uh, what uh, Diane came up with the name, and uh, <laughs> I love it. And I'm going to steal it from her. Uh, you didn't. You I, didn't. I'm giving it to you. You didn't yeah. copyright that, did you? Okay, <laughs> no. good. Uh, it's called uh, looking at history, societies forensically. It's forensic history, or you could call it forensic civics, because <clears throat> my hypothesis is that every we know that every single human being that's ever lived on this planet has unique fingerprints. Even identical twins have different fingerprints. And I think we can see, if we can imagine, societies also leave fingerprints. And if you see enough fingerprints, you can do the analysis, you know, like the criminal justice system does. Oh, look at that. That's a 15-point match. There's your suspect. Well, some of the things we're seeing today have fingerprints that go here in this country. They have fingerprints that go all the way back to the Jacobins, the, the lunatics in France in 1790. And then if you trace that all the way through history, uh, straight up through all these regimes, uh, you see an amazing similarity. Give you an example. Um, notice how uh, proponents of certain political and ideological points of view, will try to set, set up a, a, a continuum. If they're talking about communism, Stalinism, for example, they'll put it way on the left side. And then who's way on the right side? Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. Hold it. Wait a minute. 
Then you go in and they actually look at the fingerprint analysis for what those societies were, what they did, how they did it. You're talking a 15-point match. That wasn't left and right. That was two sides of exactly the same coin. And another term that I've, I've started using in my, in my newer writings, um, I hear a lot of people talking about socialism and communism and all this. I prefer to call it utopian collectivism because really that's what it is. If you analyze what's really at the bottom of this, these are, these are utopian societies in the sense that they'll promise heaven on earth. You just give us power or you let us go ahead and take power or you help us get power. And I'm telling you, it'll be just uh, absolutely, it'll be, it'll be rainbows and unicorns from then on. <clears throat> and it's always collectivist. If you look back, um, really, the roads went in separate paths uh, in the last 20 or so years of the 18th century. Because that's the time when, uh, in two different places, uh, far away from each other geographically, two peoples decided this business of the divine right of kings has got to go. No. We're, we've had it with monarchy. So, what, so how are we going to deal with this? Well, one side went towards individual liberty. The other side went towards the common good, the society, the collective. And if you trace those from that point on, some of them went the American way and a lot of them went the other way. And then you look at the actual fingerprints of what, what fingerprints did these regimes leave? And I don't care which one, you just pick one. North Korea, fine. East Germany after the war, fine. Soviet Union, Red China to this day. Venezuela, fine. You're going to find an almost perfect match. Some of the details are different. Uh, yes, uh, Hitler persecuted Hit, they all need a scapegoat Hitler found one in the Jews Jewish people uh, Stalin found one or Lenin found them in counter-revolutionaries uh, Stalin then followed that up with kulaks the, the so-called rich but they've all got Mao found it in the landowners they've all got them uh, so, but, but look how they treat them that's the key so, yeah, one of them was built on racial nationalism and the other one was built on class uh, distinction internationalism. Okay, but what did that mean for live people on the ground? Difference, a distinction without a difference. That's exactly what it's been. So let me, let me throw this at you. Um, this is not something we prepared in advance, but it's something that I've been pondering a little bit and... After I have given you this scenario, um, I want you to just riff on it. That's a musical term for <laughs> some of y'all. Um, I made a comment in public not too long ago that the judiciary was just like the snake in the garden. So I want to talk very briefly about the three branches of American government and the directions that they've each gone and the fundamental sin within, and then I'm just going to let you riff on that. And then when that's over, we'll get to whatever it is we were going to do this show. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, maybe we're going to have two shows. So the executive branch, everybody likes power, and the executive seems to have uh, the front doorstep to that. So the executive branch today rules by executive order thereby he's kind of preempting the legislative branch whose job it is to create the law so that the executive has something to enforce. support, enforce, yes. Um, but rather than create the law, the legislative branch creates surrogates. I don't want to do the job myself. So I create all these surrogates, and they're going to create policies and rules and regulations, things that I probably couldn't get away with, but they can do it. Then you have the judiciary branch, which is probably, in my view, the most deceitful of all of them. They're all deceitful. They're all despicable in, in what they've become. But 
But that's because man has fallen and that's how things go. But what the judiciary has done is look after their, their father, the devil. And you mentioned earlier that you thought that whatever issue went back to such and such a time. I think it all goes back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> God made a very simple rule. You got the whole garden. You can do pretty much whatever you want. You can eat of any tree except that one. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're good. What does Satan do? He comes in and says, did God really say? So when we started this nation, we had the Constitution. It was pretty simple, pretty straightforward, pretty short. Mm -hmm. And instead of the judiciary comparing everything and contrasting everything to that law, it turned around and subverted the law by saying, does the Constitution really say? And so all that they do is try to find... Now, as legislators, we have to work on how do we write a law so that it cannot be subverted. Your thoughts? Well, that's a that's a pretty broad uh, area right there. I will say about the judiciary, we had a we had a show on the judiciary uh, last time we got together, and I think I noted at that time th this is one of the ways that shall we say pernicious or certainly less than forthcoming people have said, okay, if we don't have the popular support to get some, what we want through the legislature, well, then we'll just use the courts for it. It's sort of like that guy that was, uh, during the Obama years, he was a SEIU union official, and he, he said, well, if, if, the, if the power of persuasion doesn't work, we'll use the persuasion of power. Uh, the judiciary has been corrupted for quite some time because of that very feature. They politicized it, uh, and since that time, I mean, if you, you j just look at, if you can stand doing it, look at some of these clown shows that, that are called uh, uh, hearings for uh, Supreme Court nominees. I mean, it's, it's, uh, when, when, when a nominee cannot answer a question such as, can you define what a woman is, you know that, uh, okay, all right, that's just how far the rod has gone. But back to your original analysis, you're, you're absolutely correct in the original analysis of the framers, of their intent. And if you notice, another thing that's being sort of whitewashed one of the, Antonin Scalia famously said one time, he said, you know, if you look at this from afar, you have to realize it isn't the, it isn't the Constitution itself. It isn't even the Bill of Rights that guarantees our freedom. Our freedom has been a bulwark because of the system of checks and balances that, we, that the founders wrote into it. The founders were very wise men, and they knew they knew what human beings were. They had seen the abuse of power up close and personal, and they designed every single way to, to make sure that the corruption could, uh, would have its least possible chance of succeeding. I'll never forget when Barack Obama was, was campaigning for president in 2008, and there was an interview in which they asked him, so, oh, since you're a constitutional law professor, which he wasn't, he was an adjunct. He said, yeah, but he did, he did go to Harvard Law. Time, he taught some nighttime classes in constitutional law. But all that notwithstanding, he said, you know, the real problem with our Constitution is that it's so negative. It tells us what the government can't do. We need to have it say more what the government can do. And that statement in itself, along with his parallel statement about need a fundamental trans transformation of the country, unfortunately nobody had the guts or the curiosity to say into what. Well, we see now into what. Uh, but that, that gives you a peek into, the, into their thinking. Or away from what. And that's critical, too, mm -hmm. because there is a hatred there is a, an, a hatred for what this nation has been. Yeah. Even though that it's been a shining light on the hill, even though that it was the impetus for the destruction of slavery, it was the impetus for uh, all kinds of medicine and other great things, 
they hate that. And that comes from the ideological part. That's instilled in them. Uh, I hate to say this, but the entire educational uh, establishment, if you will. Speaking of education, that's another example of, you mentioned that the, it wasn't the legislature that necessarily created uh, the bureaucracy said so that those are executive agencies. That is they true. were created by presidents, or at least but, by the. But executive. the legislature was all too willing to absolve themselves of responsibility. Exactly. And and the the kickback that comes from that. Yeah, and Harriet Hageman, uh I mean, she is absolutely on point. I remember going several years ago. She did a presentation down at Buffalo High School about. Yeah. The uh, uh, well, what Ron DeSantis now calls the fourth branch, and really that's what the deep state is. Uh, and she had just a wonderful explanation of the problem. Yes, those agencies come to Congress for funding, and then they they run it up and down through the normal order, and then the funding is allocated, and then Congress is supposed to provide oversight. Well. They don't. They're too busy running around figuring out how they're going to get reelected to the next term. So these guys just run around and figure, oh, good. Well, we, I guess this is our playground. We can do whatever we want. In Wyoming, and it's even look, worse. Look what it's morphed into. Yeah. In Wyoming, it's even worse because we have what we call the beloved coffee cans, where rather than, and theoretically, the legislature still has the obligation of, of oversight, but who has time to look at 600 different funds run by 600 different so, so we put a few million, five million, thirty million, forty million dollars into a fund, and we say, "You guys over here live off of the interest and do whatever you want with it." Mm-hmm. And while you're at it, be good boys and girls. Now, yeah. we trust you. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Checks and balances. Uh huh. So, yeah. but yeah, you're you're absolutely right that the original design has been over time perverted. The design is fine. The system is fine. Uh, I think it was during the Carter years when there was a proposal on the table within the defense hierarchy. They, they, they were trying to come up with what they called a neutron weapon. And its design was intended to, uh, to kill all the people in a building but leave the building alone. Well, that never materialized, or at least to our knowledge it hasn't yet. Uh, except, <laughs> if you look at... Look at Washington, D.C. Take a look at the Capitol. It's still there. Beautiful building. Look at the White House. Oh, it's all there. The Supreme Court building it says, in God we trust. Mm-hmm. Equal justice under law. Yeah, that's all still there. But what's inside? I still... Uh, the I, abomination of desolation. <laughs> I, use, I use an example to illustrate that. Uh, when I was finally able to shed the golden handcuffs and, and flee the bounds of the People's Republic of California, I was in the process of selling my condo, and around the back slab there, I had a redwood fence. <clears throat> well, I had a guy that was my realtor. Uh, I arranged for this guy to come over and help me spruce it up. You know, we put in a new heating unit and all that other good stuff. So he says, he comes in one day and he says, come here, I want to show you something. And I walked out there. I figured the redwood fence needed painting because it was pretty yeah, well faded. He said, watch this, took a claw hammer, and he hit it one time, pulled out a little segment. There was nothing but sawdust inside that fence. The termites in there had eaten all the wood. And that, to me, that is the, that's a perfect analogy of what's happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, because none of these, none of these agencies are doing what they were created to do. I still, I, th- I think the world of Ronald Reagan, I'll always have very fond memories of him. But to this day, uh, if I ever run across him in the next world, I'd love to ask him, President Reagan, why didn't you just close down the Federal Department of Education? You could have done it with the stroke of a pen. Trump could have done it with the stroke of a pen. Why do they not do that? Some of these agencies have become, I mean, well, we see it all, they're just out of control. When you have congressional hearings, and these people come in there, raise their right hand, they're under oath, and they ask the director of uh, human of, of homeland security, "Is the border security?" He says, "Yes, it is." Okay, or they'll say, 
to the Department of Justice. Well, don't you think that might be two standards here? Look what you're doing to the one guy, and look what you're letting the other guy get away with. Oh, no, no, no. This is we're, we're perfect. No problem. Or Ted Kennedy asked the, the deputy director of the FBI some questions, and the guy just basically said, I'm not going to answer that. No, I, I'm not going to contact. I'm not going to give you that. I'm not going to answer that. Sounds like we had a bumper crop of wheat this year. By the way, <laughs> by the way, take only the bread you must have. Right. Yeah, another example from the book. Yeah. But um, I think I think now the the first the first thing that people have to do, and I try to encourage young people whenever I get the chance to talk to them, which isn't often enough. I'd like to do much more of it, but it, it just. We need to tell, especially young people, because there there are literally. I mean, I I hate to be <laughs> the bearer of bad tidings, but if this doesn't turn, uh, what they're going to say? I, unfortunately, I've seen the end of the movie, and, and it's not something you want to have anybody live through, especially not your children. But to the young people, we just say, okay, stop, just 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 stop, and let's think through this, because. We understand, I mean, we were all young once, although when you look at me, it's hard to imagine I ever was, but we understand the societal pressures, the group pressures, the need to belong, all that stuff that happens to young people. I understand that. But realize that there are certain things that you just must attend to. Because if you don't, somebody's going to on your behalf, and you may well not like what ends up on the other end. Um, and I think that young people are, hopefully they're still curious enough and they want to know things. And, and if we give them enough examples, that's what I try to do in these writings. Uh, yes, they'll say this, but then look what they do. They promise this, but look what happened. You must at, at, at a minimum, I think we need to teach them what a risk reward analysis is. Do you really want to risk just say, oh, yeah, Grand Canyon, I can jump over that in one fell swell. Okay, good. That's good. And one of the things that, that I try to point out, especially to people today, is Venezuela. Now, there's a perfect example. Venezuela was far and away the wealthiest uh, country in Latin America. They had the highest standard of living. I mean, they were, they were really on a good path. And then along came one of these utopian collectivists, Hugo Chavez, who said, wait, we have too much inequity here. Wait, we need to stabilize this. Wait, this system isn't fair. We're going to make it fair. And they voted it in. And now they can't get out. It's the old joke about you can vote that stuff in, but you'll have to shoot your way out. Mm -hmm. And if young people would just, you know, be a little more attentive to that, I think probably they'd start feeling, you know, I think I need some more sources of information. I think we need to maybe think some of these things through. What, all of these issues that we're talking about with uh, the LGBTQ and all this other stuff, these are all first world problems. We are so far removed from where does supper come from tonight? How do I protect the family overnight so that we're all still here in the morning? And God forbid that we should ever have to be there, but, but my point is that we've just lost complete touch with reality, with the starkness and the harshness of the real world that is. And so we don't really fear anything. We don't really have any real issues. You have seen... Soviet Russia, you've seen people who understood this face-to-face. -face. We're going to see it again here, I fear. What's, yeah. what's, what's your next project? It's, it's a step from what we've been talking about. Where does this go from here? Well, actually, I'm writing two books. I'm updating this one uh, to include the, the things that we, we see every day, the blatant behavior on the part of the the fourth branch and the entire federal government and the, the system and the media and Hollywood and all the rest of it. Um, but I'm also writing a separate book just for Christians too, just so people know, because uh, the, the bad news is that they're probably at this stage of the rot. There isn't, there certainly isn't a short-term secular. There, there may be a long-term 
if a lot of things have to happen. But I think ultimately the, the, the only solution is to be found in, in what God has already told us. And so uh, I try to point some of those things out. But I think even that, that doesn't, even for those of us that believe that, and I do, uh, it doesn't remove from us our civic responsibility. Because the Lord said, render unto God that's his, and under Caesar's, that's his. So yeah, but part don't of give the, him all he asked for. Yeah, part of the Caesar thing is making sure you watch Caesar so he doesn't yeah. do exactly that. Precisely. So we do have that civic responsibility to do. Um, Especially in a nation where we have been given, by the foundation of that, the right at any time to overthrow or to remove or displace or reorganize. Mm-hmm. We're unique in human history in that we have that embedded in us from the beginning. Yeah. So I don't and, want to get I don't want to get too far away from the. And many of those stuff. societies that I use as examples did not. Yes. I mean, all of a sudden after World War One, the the victors imposed a constitutional republic, Weimar Republic, on the Germans. Well, <laughs> they had exactly zero experience at that. They were, they were used to Prussian autocrats all the time. And Soviet Union, the same thing happened. Okay, communism fell apart. Now, now we want a democratically run society. And for 600 years, they had been ruled by autocracy. Well, you can't just all of a sudden say, okay, here, go vote for this. And they'll say, vote? I remember, and I told the story in the book, uh, there was an elderly woman, uh, elderly at the time, I was still a youngster, but she walked up and she she was very serious. She was not trying to be a, uh, you know, a troublemaker or rabble rouse. She asked me, so please explain to me this, this multi-party system that you have in the West. Okay. So I went through all the standard arguments with the comp- competition of ideas and all this kind of stuff. And she finally looked at me and she just said, oh, that, that's chaos. And she walked away. Uh because when they are when they are conditioned from this high to only believe that, well, if you don't catch that fairly young in life, it's 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 not going to get better. It's going to get worse. That's why the educational business is so important. Uh, and I just salute y'all that are supporting working in homeschooling. That that's the, you you and the Lord's work there. Because uh, Let's just be honest about it. The teachers' unions, we, we know what the relationship they have almost everywhere in the country with the Democrat Party, and it's like they feed off each other. And that isn't checks and balances. That's just corruption, pure and simple. I think what we need to focus on um, fairly soon, though, and it certainly isn't too early to start, uh, this next election that we have coming up, 2024, is going to be it promises to be uh, a real turning point, uh, a major turning point. And what worries me is the Democrats, you know, the, the business about pilfering elections, you know, polluting them, et cetera. Again, we can go back as far back as you want. We can go back to Lyndon Johnson in 1948. We can go to Minnesota in 2008, the Senate election. We got however you want to do it. This nonsense of unrestricted mail about mail-in balloting is a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, even the French, and, I, and again, nothing personal to them, but I, they're, they're not uh, number one on my hit list. But they figured out 50 years ago. They tried that in one or two elections, and they finally said, oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is way too dangerous. This is way too open to fraud. They figured it out. 50 years ago. Um, Our problem now, I think, is that um, the this fellow named Jay Valentine, who I I think really is onto something, he's a high techie and he's developed some programs and some approaches to the high tech end of this that I think probably the Republicans need. And I've, I've, I've passed this along to the Republicans. Hopefully they'll pass it up the chain. As he wrote in a recent article, he said, 2024 will be won or lost in six swing states. In each swing state, 2024 will be won or lost based on fraud turnout in two or three counties. And he goes on to write in his article in The American Thinker, he said, 
The only way to stop this is to implement uh, computer programs for real time. You cannot catch this after it happens. He gives a couple of examples what they did last year even in Arizona. They imported something like 33,000 people from other zip codes, plump, into the database, bam, the votes were cast, and then, boom, 10 minutes later, they were gone. Well, a court, even if it's not corrupt, even if it's an honest court, it can't do anything without evidence. And unless you catch that at the moment it happens, you won't catch it. So I'm really hopeful that the Republican Party, the Trump campaign, all of them, will see, that, hey, this, this <laughs> they're not going to stop. They've seen that our ability to stop that in real time is non-existent. And they're going to keep doing it. And I'm afraid if that isn't addressed real high up, real soon, and get ready for it, uh, I, I don't, this is, this is not good. Actually, not good. the leniency or the tendency that I'm hearing about is rather than moving forward with better technology is to go back to paper ballots. And I tend to lean toward that. Well, I don't think that, yeah, I don't mean to suggest that. No, no, that's the, okay. that's the ultimate solution Yeah, is uh, in-person registration where you show a photo ID, establish who you are, and you sign that registration under penalty of perjury. And when you go to vote, your signature on the ballot had better match what they had there. And you better show the photo. That's the, that yeah. would be a sane electoral system. Unfortunately, as you know, the state legislatures are the ones who write the election law. And in Nevada, for example, you have a Democrat legislature and a Democrat governor. And in Nevada, in 2022, by state law, every resident, not citizen, resident of Nevada was uh, received, a, received a ballot in the mail. Mm -hmm. Now, at least one. I don't know how you stop that unless you try your own, you know, ballot stuffing. I, I don't know. But unless they still have to go through the, the whole re record and, and, and count, et cetera, process, and that's where that has to be caught if it's going to be caught at all, if there's fraud in it. If, they, if they're allowed to just mail out a ballot to anybody and everybody that's there, regardless of... See, this, again, it shows the long game that they've played. If you remember in the 1990s, Bill Clinton came up with the brilliant idea of motor voter. And they sold it to say, well, I mean, we want more people to vote. We want to make it easier to vote. So when you go in for your driver's license thing, they'll ask you, would you like to register to vote too? Well, sure. Here, sign this. And of course they said, well, there's a box there that says, are you a U.S. citizen? Well, who's not going to check that? And who's going to check whether or not they validated it right there at that point, whether they were or not. So the next thing we saw is in a lot of these states, even in Tennessee, I remember it happening, uh, law enforcement agencies were saying, you got to give these illegals driver's licenses because if you don't, the whole insurance thing is going to collapse. We don't know who we're dealing with. So now you have people who are illegally in the country. You're giving them driver's licenses and you've got motor voter registration. What do you think is going to happen? See, it's been going on for a long, long time. And until the point where the American people have just had enough of it, uh, I don't know. But step one, they had better get on the high-tech stuff because that's, that's the untraceable part yeah. that they're getting away with. And the, the, the frightening part that is, is even if, let's say, Wyoming and Oklahoma... Utah, maybe some other states get their ducks in a row. Do you think California is going to get their ducks in a row? Well, California is so far gone now. <laughs> yeah. that it's like that would be asking, uh, you know, the, the East Germans to, to tell the Soviets to cut it out. That, that's not going to happen. But the scary part is, though, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Georgia, North Carolina, Arizona, that's where it is. That's where the action is. They've already shown what they're capable of doing, and they don't care who knows it. Because, again, they've got their Praetorian guards in the media where if you start calling that uh, tinkering with elections, up, oh, you're an election denier, 
get him, get him, stone him, stone him. So, but um, I remember it was in May of 2020. I picked up from somewhere, my antenna I registered somewhere in a story that the DNC had had uh, sent, was in the process of sending out 600 lawyers across the country. And I told one Republican fellow that I think had some kind of inroads with the Trump campaign. I said, you know what? Uh, let me tell you one thing. I don't know exactly what they're doing there, but I'll bet you most of them are in those swing states, and I don't think they're in there to fix traffic tickets. And sure enough, we can find out later, they were the ones that were guiding the state legislatures using COVID as the example or the thing at, at that time. And if they need to, they'll find another emergency next year. Say, you can't go to the polling place. That you, uh, that's too dangerous. They're going to try it again. Yeah, COVID, COVID was just a, a test run. How does this work? What do we need to tweak? How can we yep. do it better next time? Mm-hmm. And there will be some next times. Yep. Um, my dad used to have this term that he coined. He says, I'm an opto-defeatist. <laughs> he said, uh, back in 64, we lost the war. But he says, I'm optimistic that we can at least make it last a while. And I think that's kind of a biblical view, too, is that we're just called to resist. And when yeah. you look ahead, when you look ahead to prophecy, mm-hmm. y- you realize that things are going to get pretty miserable. Yeah. And uh, I have one little confession to make. I very often now, because of the political things that I do and go to, recite the Pledge of Allegiance. And I love the Pledge of Allegiance. There's that one word in there, indivisible. Mm -hmm. I've had a problem with that for about five years now. Yeah. And every time I say that, there is some resistance within me. That's not saying that I'm a secessionist and I'm ready to go up and and call to arms and and pull things out. Mm -hmm. But when I look at what the state of California, the state of New York, state of Illinois, when I look at what they're doing, and I say, do I want to be indivisible with mm-hmm. them? No. You've got to be kidding me. Yeah. Well, frankly, I went a little deeper with that. And if you look at the whole pledge, think about what we're saying. One nation? Really? Yeah. Under God? Uh, I've had trouble with that. That was an add-on. Indivisible? With liberty and justice for all? Are these just words now? Because uh, yeah. What what's that worth? I mean... But, well, I got a confession to make, too. Until fairly recently, I, I've prayed about it. And uh, Mark Jennings has a great term he uses for this. He calls it the, the, the Hedekiah syndrome. And I was suffering from it because I can't tell you how many times I've said to friends of mine, and they, they, they get in the amen corner, oh, I'm glad I'm the age I am, look where I am. Because, that's you know, right. Well, that's what Hedekiah said to the good Lord, and that, that didn't work out that well. It's not going to affect me, so what do I care? Yeah. And so, of course, then his kitty Manasseh came right after him, and instead of raising him there, well, anyway, yeah, I, that's my confession. I had to give that up and say, no, no, you, you can't take that. That's a, that's a really selfish view. Uh, I think we're all called upon to do what we can with what we have. And the least, I'd say the least that... <clears throat> that any of us can do is take a take an analysis of where we are as a country, as a society, as a state, and face reality. And we can say the Pledge of Allegiance. By the way, when I do say it, I don't say the word indivisible anymore. I haven't said that. And nobody notices it. I just yeah, I, I often don't say under God because God says not to yeah. take his name in vain. Yeah, and of course, the, the under God part is, I think it used to be true. Like and a lot and of the ideally, things, it would be again. I think a lot of those things used to be true, but justice for all? Okay, so we've got the, the scales of justice, and we have Donald Trump over here, and we have Hunter Biden over here. And I can't, sorry, I can't balance that equation. It just doesn't quite work. It's not working right now. But the fourth branch is doing their best to say, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Nothing to see here, folks. Move on. So I think each of us needs to maybe step back, 
prayerfully and, and soberly think about these things and say, you know, the worst thing we could do is what the Soviet people eventually were forced to do. They, they reached a point in their existence, and I have some examples of it in the book, like the little guy in, in Riga that looked up at the, at the signs on the building. He had looked up there in 20 years. They learn to just deal with it, live with it, put up with it. Trust me, folks, what I saw, you, you don't want to have to put up with that yeah. because it's, it's bad, it's brutally bad, and anything that any of us, regardless of how slight our contributions could be, could be nothing more than, than going out and supporting a, a candidate for office and say, I know this man, he's a solid constitutional conservative and talking to other people about it. Something even that simple. Everybody, I think, can do something. What we dare not do is nothing. Exactly. Everybody must do something. Yeah. So you've got two books out there. You have an article forthcoming? No, I'm, uh, I generally well. don't do the letters to the editor anymore until something really ticks me off. Uh, <laughs> and I'm getting harder and harder to tick off because, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've seen so much of it. And, and um, sometimes I wonder, is anybody reading this stuff anyway? But my, the two books are, are taking up most of my time because I'll write on one for a while, write on another for a while, play for, pray for direction on the one. What, what do you want me to say here? Well, here, Lord, and I back over here. And, but I will say on the second, on the update to this book, <clears throat> things, are, things are coming so fast that I can't keep up with it anymore. I mean, how many examples of this can I jam into a chapter? I like to keep it as short as I can. I don't believe in long books. I don't believe in, I think if, if we've got something to say, say it and move on. Uh, otherwise, people are, you know, they tend to say, oh, well, okay, yeah, we know that. What I'm trying to show them is something they might not know, and that is, where is this coming from? It is not new. I mean, even the, I was writing a little bit in it yesterday about uh, this Gendered, gender dysphoria. I can't even say that with a straight face. Uh, and, and people say, well, that's a, that's a new one. And I found an article from 2002 where I think it was down in one of the southern states, believe it or not, <laughs> a kindergarten got involved in, in basically saying to the kids, well, now pretend you're the other sex. You boys pretend like you're girls for a while. See, they'll... they'll they keep it. They and the the other thing that people have to understand about these this this other side of the of the equation here, they don't stop. No, they ne they they don't have any brake pedals. They it's pedal to the metal all the time. If they win, fine, great. They press on faster. If they lose, they don't care. They'll keep doing it. And we have to simply look at that reality and say. We're not going to solve this with one election or with one deed or whatever. 9-11, people said, oh, America will come together now. It wasn't two months after that when people, some of these professors started throwing rocks at us saying, well, we deserved it. You know, we're rotten to the core anyway. So it's not going to happen quickly. I think the only thing that's going to happen quickly is once the Lord decides... That, that that's it it'll happen just like that revelation 22 12 yeah behold i come quickly yeah and that quickly people i think misunderstood and said well, wait a minute it's been 2000 words exactly. no no it means in an instant right yep from the um, greek yeah it it's it's sudden um i looked it up actually just this morning um but but i want to tie that with this idea that you're talking about trying to write this and, and things are coming so quickly. It, it occurs to me that it could all be over by the time you get it edited. Could be. So even so, Lord, come. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I certainly, if that's the way, that then, then that's fine. Nobody needs these anyway. Right. Uh, I just... Um, the thing that, that really bothers me, you know, we all have kind of internal tapes inside of our mind, and sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes not so good. I've learned uh, 
I don't know, a thought came to me fairly recently. I was laying in bed thinking about this, and then a thought just came to me from somewhere, I think. And the thought was, okay, put away the things that were and are no more, and focus instead on that which always has been, still is, and always will be. And it's a calming effect when you realize, because we're fortunate people of our faith, we, we know how this all ends. We know who wins in the end. It's just, wow, there's a lot of suffering that has to happen before that goes on. And I, I catch myself. Vera and I were out on the, on the porch just the other day having a cup of coffee, and I'm looking around, and we have quite a few kids in our neighborhood, young, young tykes, and they're running around playing, and I thought, that's really neat. And the strangest thing happened, I had a flashback to a, a DVD program that I had watched, well, fairly recent to that, and it was these, these poor little kids in the, in the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw. And I thought, oh, my God, please don't let that happen here. Please, dear Lord, don't let that happen here. I mean, break your heart. Just look at it. Break your heart. And unfortunately, uh, I think it was the Irish poet Yeats who wrote back in the 30s. He said, well, unfortunately, the, uh, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passion and intensity. And you see that uh, in a lot of different places in our society today. Uh, you, you, you got a full dose of it down in Cheyenne last year when the, uh, they... They just don't stop. They just keep on a-coming. It's relentless. You said something that I think is very important that I'd kind of like to close with. You focus on the things that endure, the things that are permanent. Yep. That's focus on Christ. Yep. I'm the Alpha. I'm the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I never yep. change. 